You are listening to The 66, a podcast where we read the Bible, a three-step process. We read it, we think about it, and we apply it to our lives. Andrew, what are you wearing? I am wearing, hopefully, the prize-winning ugly sweater from the teen Christmas party, which you still have to pick. Oh yeah, I was supposed sweater. to be the judge for that contest. Yeah. Let me just paint you a little picture, listeners. We've got a the the harshest green my retinas can take. I'm gonna be seeing a negative of this sweater in my sleep tonight. And there is is this the abominable snowman? I think so. And he's got his um he's got one hand raised in triumph and I'm not sure if there's a little green man in his hand or if he's like the Vulcan with a torch. I think it's a man. So he's holding a he's man. Arms. It's a it's a desperately violent Christmas sweater. It's, it's like King everything Kong, is almost. Yeah, everything around the abominable snowman is joyous and happy. We've got Christmas trees, candy canes, snowflakes. But then this his eyes are squinting and he's holding I'm troubled by the person, <laughs> or the. I, I'm pretty sure that is a person now. Yeah, I think he's going to meet probably a bad, a bad. No, here. there's a tree over there. There's a tree on one side with a star on it. There's a tree on the other side of him without a star, and he's just putting a star. Oh, on the tree. he's putting the star on the yeah. tree. Uh, so oh. he's a friendly, abominable snowman. Yeah, I thought that was a person. Yeah, it is a star. It's even got the. Yeah, you can tell. Well, I'm glad we solved that. You have to judge. Maybe we could reveal the judge or the winner on the podcast, and I can get the teenagers to come back and listen to it. There's no—I don't know if, if there's know anything that you can do to get the teenagers to listen <laughs> yeah. to us. True. More than they already do. If we played T Swift in our breaks, then they would listen. Huh? They just skip to the break. Shake it off. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not doing that. Off. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably for the best. But what are we doing today? What are we we are finishing up Philippians today. And if you're going back and listening to this later, I'm wearing the sweater because it's Christmas time. Christmas is two weeks away at this point. So yeah. if you go back and listen to this like in June, I'm not wearing a Christmas sweater <laughs> in June. Um, but we're going to finish up Philippians. And it's been, just like with all these books that we've done so far, I've really enjoyed it. And I kind of hate to be on our last episode. You know, I hate that this is our last one, but, I mean, it's got to end somewhere. And we're going to start in verse 10 today, and I've taken... Of chapter 4. Yes, of chapter 4. Uh, we're in verse 10. We, we wrapped up last episode, verse 9. Uh, we've been following this theme of Paul's joy throughout the entire letter we talked about the joy that Paul has had in the Philippians themselves. You can see in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, uh, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. So we're kind of following this theme of joy and what, what all Paul has to be joyful about. And in this last section, I want to look in verse 15 as kind of our theme verse for the end of the letter. Because I really think this is what this last section is all about. He says in verse 15, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Now this is fitting for this time of year, uh, but the theme I'm going to look at for these verses 
is Paul's joy in giving and receiving. And we're going to see that throughout this section, Paul is really talking about how the Philippians have supported him uh, through the times that he has seen. And certainly we'll see uh, down at the end what kind of payment he gets. But I want to break this up into two things. In verses 10 to 16, I want to talk about Paul's support. He is well supported. And then in verses 17 to 20, we will see that Paul and the Philippians both are well supplied. So well supported and well supplied are the two ideas here. And you can look in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so Paul, and let's go down to verse 14. Let's just skip 11 to 13 for now. Down in verse 14, Paul says, It was kind of you to share in my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. So what we're talking about here is Paul is saying thank you to the Philippians for the gift that they have sent him. And we've already talked about this a little bit from chapter 1 and also from chapter 3 when we talked about, uh, or chapter 2 when we talked about Epaphroditus. Because Epaphroditus is the guy carrying the money to Paul. And that's how Epaphroditus wound up in Rome with Paul. So what Paul is, he's painting a picture here of his situation when he gets out of Macedonia, when he leaves um, when he leaves Philippi in the first place in Acts 16, which we've already read about, no other church apparently has partnered with him to help him in giving and receiving. Only the Philippians did. So Paul was getting support from them uh, for a while in his ministry. And you can see in verse 10 that there was a period where they were concerned for him, but they could not support him. So Paul was in their minds, but he was out of their reach. Because of the word revived? Yeah. And I suggest on, and on, off, back on again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the end of verse 10, he says, You were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Uh, yeah, yeah. The New Century Version says, You had no way to show it. You were thinking about me, but you had no way to show it. So that's the so idea. All of that is really you know, about money. Yeah. Material concern. Yeah, it's about giving and receiving and certainly Another thing that about. we talk about this time of the year a lot in church. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Something little kids definitely want that. to talk about. More so receiving probably <laughs> than giving. Well, I was thinking, you know, a lot of churches are working on budgets and preaching on oh, stewardship. Yeah. And that that ties in, you know, to these things. So it, yeah, it certainly does. And then we get down to verse 17. And then we're kind of shifting gears and we're talking about... Uh, now we're not talking so much about the support and the partnership. Um, and you can see, actually before we get into that, look in verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, Paul says, It was kind of you to share my trouble. That word for share comes from a Greek word um, that actually comes from the word for fellowship. Uh, it's a compound word for fellowship, and it means together or with and then fellowship. Those are the two words on there. And then when you look in verse 15, know the church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Partnership comes from the same word. Mm -hmm. So this is really what we're talking about is Paul is supported by the partnership of that church. And then you have in verses 11 and 12 and 13, 
one of the most beloved passages in the whole New Testament uh, about I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That comes in this context of Paul saying, you have, you've been concerned for me that uh, you've been lacking an opportunity, but now you have it again. I'm so happy that you are supporting me once again. But not that I'm speaking of being in need, and this is verse 11, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So he's very happy they're supporting him, but he kind of gives this little, I guess, uh, you know, a caveat, I guess, or a disclaimer saying, you know, thank you guys for supporting me. Not that I'm saying I'm in, you know, that I'm in dire need because I, I know how to be content, but all the more still thank you for what you're giving me. And then you get down to verse 17 and he shifts gears a little bit. And now we're talking about being well supplied. Verse 17 and 18 say this, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then let's continue on. And my God will supply every need of yours according to, the, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul kind of shifts gears here, and he was talking about the gift they gave him, and now he's talking about the receiving end of it, what he has received. And he's saying, I am I am well supplied. I've been paid in full. I am satisfied. You know, right back up to this idea of content that he mentioned in verses 11 to 13. He's content with the gift that they have sent him. But then look what happens on the flip side in verse 19. He has been well supplied. Then in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So not only is Paul well supplied by the physical blessings from the Philippians, but the Philippians are well supplied by God himself with the riches that they get in Christ Jesus. And I don't think it's any coincidence that he uses that same word supply and that he uses the word riches they're talking about Christ Jesus he's obviously making the parallel you guys are giving me you guys are giving me material blessings but how much are you guys going to be blessed in Christ for having this partnership with me for supporting me for us you know being partners in this giving and receiving and then down in verses 21 to 23 Excuse me. You have uh, the final greeting here. You have the conclusion. Uh, Paul ends many of his letters like this. Verse 21, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that closes Paul's letter to the Philippians. I want to congratulate you on resisting the temptation to make the whole section that we talked about today about verses 11 through 13. I think it's what most people you know, want to do with that. And uh, as we were reading through, it occurred to me that that really is a parenthesis in the middle of a discussion of what, what you call sharing and support. Share, yeah. Isn't that right? Sharing and support. Yeah. 
So, you know, it, he only brought that up. I'm seeing that now this way. Uh, he brought that up because he was talking about how they had no opportunity to help him in the past. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, he just now, to clarify it, not that I... And speaking of being in need, not that I ever was in need, not that I'm yeah. now in need, I'm content, and this is where my contentment comes from. And then he gets back on track, and he starts talking about support again and, yeah. and showing gratitude. So while we always want to make the end of this letter about verses 11 through 13, it's really about what you said, the sharing and the support. Mm-hmm. But that parent, I mean, Paul's parentheses are greater than any like, yeah thesis we would ever come up with, their mm-hmm. dissertation. So those three verses are very powerful, but if you're just looking at it structurally, which is what we do a lot of times in the first section of the podcast and the reading, you nailed it. I mean, that's that's what the end of the letter is about. Back up to verse 15 now, and here's here's the thought question. What made the church at Philippi unique? Um, here's, here's what verse 15 says. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, now Philippi was located in the province of Macedonia, correct? Yes. Uh, we covered that, you know, probably yeah. the first episode. I can't remember back That's that back part. in Acts 16. It says it was a leading city. Yeah, it was a leading city and, and a Roman colony mm-hmm. in the province of Macedonia. Other cities in that area would be Thessalonica, Berea. So he worked with several churches in that area. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he said, I, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. All right, so... When he says, no church except for you, he's making Philippi unique among all the many churches that he worked with. No church, not the church at Ephesus or Corinth or Thessalonica, not not any of the other churches that he wrote letters to or worked with, Lystra, Derby, Laodicea, you know, none of these. No church entered into this partnership or fellowship except them alone. And the question is, what made them unique? What was different between Philippi? And we've noted, I'll say this generally, we've been talking throughout the whole series on Philippians about how different this letter is from all the other letters. This is the tenderest letter. And even when he confronts problems like with Euodia and Syntyche earlier in this chapter, he's very gentle compared to you know, with the Corinthians or the Galatians, you know, where he says, you better hope that you've got this straightened out before I come. You know, he doesn't say that verbatim, but Mm -hmm. that's the sense you get sometimes. And, um, you know, he's very tender with this congregation. So what is it that makes him unique? Well, I think that's a great question. Uh, Obviously, because there are, you know, I'm sure there are other... Maybe not, but I guess I just haven't done enough research on this 
uh, to know whether or not anybody else has really given Paul money. Because I know there are several times in the Corinthian letters where he says, you know, I have the right to take money from you guys, but I don't. Yeah. So I wonder if Paul was solely supported by the Philippians or, you know, I'm wondering who, where he got his, you know, he made some money making tent as a tent maker, you know. he. Yeah. But I wonder how much, you know, the Philippians were giving to compensate because obviously Paul cannot make tents when he's in prison in Rome. Right. So he's definitely going to need the money now. But I wonder, is this, does this mean that Philippi is the only congregation giving money to Paul and there's no other church that's helping him or is it? Well, let's go back to those words that you were talking about to the Corinthians. Uh, He says some of that in 1 Corinthians 9, but I'm more interested in 2 Corinthians 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, Listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 7. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches. Now, note the plural there. Yeah. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And this, this, by the way, was written four years prior to his imprisonment. Maybe three, three or four years before the the letter to the Philippians. Okay. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia. Okay. So that would include Philippi. Yeah. Just put that together. Supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. And we can stop right there. Um,. But I, there are two things that are really interesting from that set of verses. One is that the area, he mentions generally the area of Macedonia, and in not the church at Philippi. Now, if it was, if what he meant in Philippians 4.15 was that the church at Philippi was the only one that ever gave him money, why didn't he say, brothers from Philippi came? That when he says Macedonia, that suggests to me that Thessalonica was involved, maybe Berea was involved, other congregations. Maybe there's more than one congregation in Philippi. It was a big yeah. city. Uh, so he makes and, a reference to Thessalonica in Philippians. He says, "Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again." Okay. Well. So I wonder. Kind of challenges that idea that the Thessalonians were supporting him, because, but but he may have needed more than what Thessalonica could do, and and this was that would have been back in Acts. He goes from Philippi to Thessalonica back in Acts. So it could have been see Acts sixteen there in Philippi, Philippi and they and go straight from there to, to Thess- Thessalonica. So it could have been Berea. yeah when they were in Thessalonica. Maybe he's only there three weeks, so yeah. So maybe the Philippians are helping him when he's there for that short time, and then by the time Paul leaves there, the Thessalonians are partnering with the mm-hmm. with the uh, Philippians. I wonder. Yeah, I, we need well, to I see just, the dates on you know, that when he wrote. Second somebody, some may think I'm taking him too literally, but the other thing before we get out of Second Corinthians 11 that I wanted to point out 
is that he told the church at Corinth that I robbed other churches, mm-hmm. plural. And we're just going by the language that is used here. And I realize somebody may say, well, he was just speaking casually. You know, he wasn't. But to me, what he is saying is that more than the church at Philippi was involved in supporting him so that he could work free of charge at Corinth. And of course, he, he was also a tent maker and he did vocational ministry as well. He, uh, <coughs> excuse me. He accepted support from them to serve Corinth. So I don't accept the idea that Philippi was unique in that it was the only church that ever gave Paul money. Mm-hmm. I, I just I don't read it that way, and I'm sure if we did some more digging, we could find some other examples of Paul thanking you know people for the gifts for for the support that he got. Uh, I'm sure the church at Rome was helping him out while he was here in, in prison in Rome. Yeah. So what what does he say they were doing if, as we go back to Philippians 4.15? He says only this, that no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. So what made them unique was the fellowship of giving and receiving. And since we've seen evidence that other churches gave then it must be the way that they received that made them different from the other churches. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I, that sounds pretty good. I'm, <laughs> I'm writing it all down right now, so that's why I'm... Well, I, okay, so we have some brethren who believe that churches should not cooperate with one another in doing evangelism. But they believe that the only scriptural model, and this is the model they believe they see Paul using in the New Testament, is for each individual church to send money directly to the evangelist. Now, I have a brother who does mission work in Peru. He doesn't use that model. The model that he uses to have his support is that he is under the, his work is under the oversight of one congregation. That congregation receives money from this congregation and many, many others and gives a salary to my brother and a working fund to my brother's work. Based on, largely on what these other congregations give to them. Yes, and he goes around and he does the fundraising, much as Paul does. But he, and, and we, you know, using our congregation at Asheville Road, we like that. Because there's accountability involved. And while my brother is one of the most honest men I know, he's human, and we would much rather a group of elders be overseeing this than for the money just to go to a mailbox and know the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Yeah, and it makes it easier on everybody, really, because you've got somebody organizing how, you know, how the money is going to get there, um, yeah, that that especially it's not so much a problem for us now, but back when Paul would have been going around, it makes perfect sense for the Macedonians because that's what Paul did for the needy saints in Jerusalem. You know, he came around and he picked up everybody's money to take it to Jerusalem. Yeah, he couldn't set up a checking account and get a debit card and say, yeah. you know, everybody, here's my routing number. Yeah, set up a direct deposit in here and put money in. 
you know, I, it was much more complicated than that. I think it makes, based on what you're saying, I didn't even think about this before we just started discussing the whole that giving and receiving. But it's, I think it makes perfect sense for well, or not that's the case, but it makes perfect sense for the Macedonians in Philippi, the church at Philippi, to be the church that everybody brings the collection to for Paul. You know, if they had another special collection for Paul in Macedonia, the Thessalonians or the Thessalonians, <laughs> um, the maybe Thessalonians, the Bereans, the Bereans, and some others. Yeah. You know, if Philippi said, "Hey," We want to support Paul. We're going to keep supporting Paul. If you guys want to donate to us, donate it to us by such and such. We're going to get it, and we'll get it to Paul. Mm-hmm. That makes it a lot easier than Berea having to say, well, we're taking a collection for Paul, so-and-so. you got to go to Rome and give the money to Paul. Meanwhile, the people from Philippi are also sending somebody to Rome for Paul. you just got somebody in charge of it. Somebody getting it done. Delivering it. Yeah, delivering it, making it. So we know what. Okay, so what made them unique was the giving and the receiving. Mm -hmm. And I guess what was given, I don't know that anybody questions that. The giving is understood, you know, this monetary support. Oh, yeah. What was received, though? I mean, that's the question. And, And I'm submitting that they were receiving money on Paul's behalf. And then they were putting that together with their own funds and giving Paul monetary support. Uh, Now, others would say, well, no, what I think is going on there is that they were giving money and receiving teaching from Paul. Or they were giving money and they were receiving support from Paul. Or receiving uh, the, the gospel from Paul. And so, Paul was giving and they were receiving. I mean, yeah, Paul was... They were giving and Paul was giving. But I, yeah, I think, it goes both ways. you know, since the context is Paul's monetary support, I think another way to look at it is that they were giving to Paul and receiving from other churches. And that there you find the model of the sponsoring church in mission work. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. I think both of those things makes sense here you know obviously they're giving Paul money and Paul's giving them you know spiritual encouragement you know so obviously that's going on regardless you know regardless of whether or not we have a passage here about giving and receiving you know that's obviously that's happening no matter Mm -hmm. what just by him teaching them that's happening yeah Um, Yeah. so I do think the difference here and that doesn't make a Every other church that he teaches at, there's giving and receiving in that regard. So that wouldn't yeah. single out the Philippians and make them different. Right, and we and we established from 2 Corinthians 11 that other churches gave to him. Yeah. And these would have been churches that received teaching from him. Yep. I hadn't thought about that. So you eliminate that as, as what made Philippi unique. And the only conclusion you know I can deduce here is that they were unique in that they were his sponsoring church. Now, that language was not used, but, you know, that is a biblical precedent for doing mission work. Just kind of the, they were the, I guess, um, I'm trying to think of the best word for it. They were in charge of the the gift to Paul. Yeah, they were overseeing the the gift. The letter opens, 
to all the saints who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He could have used the term elders there. He could have used the term shepherds. But he looked to them as overseers. Of course, he's an apostle, uh, which makes him a little different than your average evangelist. But he was writing this, you know, from the standpoint of an evangelist here who'd been in prison for preaching the gospel and and he saw that he valued their oversight okay yeah. i think we've we probably been on that subject too long but it's an interesting one to me it's a very very interesting verse and i think it's very important to appreciating the whole letter because the letter takes on you know it just means more i guess or you can understand better why it's written and who it's written to, if it's not, well, I'm just reading this letter from a guy writing to a bunch of people that he likes and gets along with well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just that. This is a church that is taking the forefront and supporting him. They do all of that organizational work with getting the money together, picking it up from here, picking it up from there, getting it together, counting it, and then taking it all the way to Rome to Paul mm-hmm. with Epaphroditus. Because Epaphroditus carries the gift from everybody. Yeah. Whoever, wherever they got their money from, uh, Epaphroditus carries it to him. So I think yes. that lets yeah. you know why Paul is saying, I rejoice greatly in verse 10. You know, that's the first time he says, rejoice greatly, or that he qualifies how he rejoices in the whole letter. Yeah. Uh, you know, other than he says, I rejoice always. But he doesn't say greatly or more so or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's very important. And it's coming right here at the end. Uh, I think that's very important to understand for just the whole, to keep in your mind as the whole letter. Maybe it's a good idea, you know, if you're listening, and uh, it might be a good idea to go back and read the letter to Philippian, to the Philippians with all of that in mind. Maybe mm-hmm. some different things will stand out to you. Uh, maybe it'll give you some thoughts for further study in the letter. Um Whatever it might be, but I want to bring up something else. If we feel like we're, do we feel like we've pretty much covered that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, there's one other thing I really want to bring up from here, and that is this word for content. Well, uh, we can bring up the Greek for it, but I guess this is more of apply. Than yeah, there was something think. else that there was something else you were going to bring up for think. Uh, Paul's attitude towards taking money thinks what it was but we've already I think we've already pretty much covered well, that where he, he said you know I've, well I guess let's, let's look no, at that no we didn't cover that because he's constantly saying you know I'm not in need I'm not seeking the gift verse 17 not yeah. that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit mm-hmm. so how does that work you know here, here here's another thought question how does Paul dance between that line of asking for money, which I, I wouldn't say that he ever actually does that, mm-hmm. but, but raising support and seeking spiritual things first? I think, well, we can see, uh, I guess the one I think is best for that is just a really short, Second Corinthians 2 and verse 17. He says, We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we we speak Christ. Paul's not going around, and he makes it clear, he's not going around just trying to get money from everybody 
And in that passage we've already read from Second Corinthians 11, he talks about preaching yeah. to them free of charge. Evidently um, that was a hang-up in Corinth. Of course, you've got these peddlers, and he didn't want to be confused with them. And then there seems to be a little antagonism towards him you know, receiving any funds from them. So knowing where he was, he wouldn't, even if he had to starve or had to spend a lot of time making tents in order to, to buy his bread, he was not going to accept a penny from the church at Corinth. Not yeah. because it was wrong, but because it would have been a stumbling block at Corinth. Now over in Philippi, wasn't a stumbling block. So maybe that's one of the things is he wouldn't receive the money if it was an, a distraction to his preaching of the gospel. But, you know, man's got to eat. Yeah. You know, and and uh, that's what, where money comes in. People are very sensitive about money in church. And a lot of this has come out of the, the televangelism and the, you know, the abuses of fundraising in church that has happened over, you know, the last... Uh, 50, 60 years where, you know, you have seen television preachers and, and other preachers get really rich off of preaching the gospel. And so it's the, the knee-jerk reaction to that is, I don't ever want to hear them talk about money in my church. But as yeah. it has been pointed out many, many times, Jesus says more about money than he says about, you know, faith, than he says about prayer. So it's obviously an important subject. We just got to find out exactly, you know, what he says about the subject. And the whole idea is that we're stewards of what God has given us, and we should use it according to God and to His glory. And I think maybe that's the secret: is Paul is saying to them, "I'm not seeking the gift, but you know what I'm seeking is God's glory. Yeah. What, what increases to your credit, you know that that's the glory of God and." Mm-hmm. You know their their praise of God, not Paul, in doing this, and it's being used for God's work. I don't know if we're handling this one that well, but you know that's I kind think, of the way I read that balance that he's that he's doing. Yeah, and I think in First Corinthians nine, you talked about being a problem in Corinth. It certainly was because it comes up in the first letter to the Corinthians. Yeah, uh, he's talking about the rights that he has in verse in chapter nine. Uh, and if you've got your Bible open there in front of you, you can kind of glance at that and see exactly what he's talking about. Um, but he's in verse 6, he said, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have a right, or who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Um, and then he goes, he's basically saying, I have the right to get money. Look at verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying, we have the right to get money from you guys, but we are not. Because for whatever reason, it's an obstacle. And yeah. he says, we're not going to take money, um, even though we can. Uh, look at verse 15. I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So Paul's saying, I have not taken this right, and I'm not writing this to change your mind so I can get that. And then he says this at the end of the verse, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground 
for boasting. And the ground for boasting that he's talking about is that he is preaching the gospel free of charge. Mm-hmm. You can see that in verse 18. What then is my reward? That in preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So but when he says sincerity. that, free of charge, it's not absolutely free of charge. It's free of charge to the Corinthians. Mm-hmm. But we learn in the next letter, it's at the expense of the Macedonians. That's right. So, you know, I think people need to understand that, you know, if a guy is preaching the gospel and there's a church building with air conditioning and lights on and water running and, you know, you, you, and you're not giving and you're not supporting the preaching of the gospel, somebody else is making up where you're yeah. lacking. Somebody is doing that. Mm-hmm. And if everybody decided not to chip in because church is spiritual and they need to stay out of my pocketbooks, the preaching of the gospel would no longer exist because men who are preaching would have to uh, quit preaching in order to earn wages. And, yeah. and I know there are a lot of men who don't give their their time full-time to preaching, and they yeah. uh, work and earn their own living and, and preach. So I, I know that, and I respect those guys very much. But uh, I don't know if we should have gotten into this one because I don't really know where we're going with this. We just found it interesting that in verse 17, he says, you know, after talking about thanking them for the gifts and talking so much about the gifts, he says, mm-hmm. I'm not seeking the gift. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeking the credit that you're going to get with God for giving the gift. That's where I was going with it. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Is that this Paul's talking about all the money here. But he doesn't. He's not. He he appreciates it and all this stuff. But that's not what he's after. He's not after money, as compared to the guys in chapter one, who preached Christ out of selfish ambition or selfish gain. So I think that's a stark contrast I want to make. Paul is Paul yeah. is in this, if you want to call it a business. It's kind of an ironic term to use. Paul is in this business not for money. Not for a financial gift. That's not what he's after. That's not what he's really seeking. What he's really seeking is the benefit of all these people that he's trying to teach. And that's why he said in chapter 1, you know, to live as Christ is to die as gain, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. For that reason, I'm convinced that I'll be, I'll be here. So he's worried about the people. He's putting other people before himself. He's not wanting money. He's not just trying to make a quick buck. He, he appreciates the gift. But that's not what he's after. And I think that's what I that's what I wanted to bring out of that phrase in verse 17. I want to look in verse 11 at when we start to think about applying this text and this is the text you know that we mentioned in the read section that it's hard to it's hard not to make this the the theme of this little passage here Uh, but you know we explained why we think otherwise in the first section but this is probably one of the greatest things for us to apply here and this is something that we have seen in the letter before and that's Paul's attitude of contentment we talked about it back when he was in, uh, or in chapter 1, we talked about Paul being in prison. But here we can talk about it a little more. He says 
in verse 11, uh, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And contentment, I think it, it bears, uh, it's, it's worth talking about and really explaining what exactly is meant when we say contentment. It carries the idea of, of satisfaction. And it's not, it's not just a feeling of satisfaction, it's an attitude. And when we think about contentment, I think our first thought is, well, I feel content, you know, or I would emotion. only feel content if, yeah, an emotion, something that, you know, you and you can't control your emotions. And the, the point I want to bring up is contentment is something you can control. You know, it's not like you can, I feel content if I have this, or if I were only married, I would feel content. Or if I were only had this, if I only had this much money, I would be content. Or whatever it might be, uh, it's an attitude. It's a state of mind. It's something that we can certainly, to a high degree, control. And it comes from this Greek word. Uh, it's a compound word. And the first part of the word is auto, which is the same in the English that it is in the Greek. You know, it means self, uh, pretty much. And then. It comes from a verb that means to be enough or to be sufficient. And so you can definitely see there the idea of being self-sufficient or being able to function on your own. Uh, it has the idea of self-sufficient, adequate, needing no assistance. So but, there's your attitude. You know, I studied this word one time, and I thought about that a lot. And, um, you know, if you're not careful, it almost sounds like you don't need God either. Yeah. Of course, in context, that's absolutely... So the way I look at it is, everything that I need is within me, mm-hmm. including God. God is within me. God is in me. And so um, I can depend on Him in that sense. Um, that You put it in context, and that's the way it reads. If it was in a different context, it would sound almost prideful. Yeah. Um, but it's an, it's a very interesting word. And it helps define what contentment is. It's self-sufficiency, but not. But when you're a Christian, yourself is dependent given to Christ. on God. Yeah, you know, it's not me, but Christ that lives in me. Galatians two twenty. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. And that's definitely something that comes out in verse thirteen, where he says, "I can do all things, not through mm-hmm. himself, but through him who strengthens me." But I'm kind of getting ahead. I want to back up a little bit before we discuss verse thirteen. Yeah. Um, Contentment is an attitude. It's an attitude, not a feeling. And because it's an attitude and not a feeling, it is not dependent upon any outside circumstance. You know, and then there's your your prefix of auto. It's it's within itself. It's not determined by any kind of outside variable. And when you look in verse 12, you can see that. Because Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. So regardless of what's going on around Paul, whether he's got money, whether he's got food, or whether he does not, he knows how to be content. When he doesn't have things, and you can see in 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen, really all the way to chapter 12 and verse 10, where it gets done talking about the thorn in the flesh, he mentions all the reasons that he has, or all the afflictions and hardships and persecutions that he has had, He's had a lot of them, but somehow he has found it in his heart to remain content. 
somehow he figures out how to be content with persecutions, calamities, hardships, shipwrecked, being beaten with rods, all these different things. He's content with that. But at the same time, he knows how to be content when things are going good. You know, he's not uh, worried. He's not greedy. He's not seeking more and more and more. He's content with bad things, and he's content with the good things. He knows how to keep himself from, I guess, just the lust of uh, just things in general in life. The pride of life. Yeah, covetousness. And then he gives you the secret. Uh, look at the end of verse 12. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And you go back to 2 Corinthians, and I think you get a a full, kind of the completion of the thought from Paul here. Because he starts in chapter 11 talking about all of his persecutions and his hardships. Um, and then in verse 29 he says, Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Why? Why is he boasting about his weakness? Well, in chapter 12, he talks about the thorn in the flesh that he prays three times about. And in verse 9, this is what he says. Uh, But he said to me, and he referring to Christ. So Paul has complained about his thorn in the flesh three times, and this is Christ's answer. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. There's that same word. I am. I am. I have all I need. I am satisfied for the sake of Christ with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, Paul, how can you stay content when things are bad? Well, it's because he knows that he has Christ. It's because he knows that at the end of the day, Christ is with him. And for the sake of Christ, he is fine. He's content with it, everything, as long as it's for the sake of Christ. And let's, let's point out that this is learned behavior. You know, the word learned is used at least twice in verses 11 and 12. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He didn't just, uh, he wasn't born with this. And this is the Apostle Paul, the inspired Apostle Paul. So if he had to learn it, I'm going to have to learn it for sure. And I'm going to struggle with it. It's not an easy attitude to develop, to use what you call contentment. It's an attitude, but it's not an attitude that that just comes naturally. It's definitely not an an emotion that just just comes naturally. It's it's learned behavior. It's faith behavior. So... um, you know, I want to encourage anybody that's struggling out there with contentment right now. You're with everybody else in that. Uh, we get better at it as we seek to depend on Christ for strength instead of our instead of ourselves. Yeah. Um, let's see, there's something else. You know, we talked. What was it that phrase you used? I, this whole idea of not depending on circumstances, but on Christ, um, reminded me of an equation I heard John Maxwell give one time which was E plus R equals O. Events plus response equals the outcome. Oh, I said said it. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. 
Right. Or your attitude. And that's the same thing as E plus R equals O. Yeah. So you you got... I, I like the equation, though, because you can, you can set it up this way. There are two parts of the equation that equal the outcome. You can't control the E. You really can't. I mean, you can't do anything about it. You can kind of maybe... You can alter it a little bit, but that kind of gets into the R. What you can control is your response to those events. And so, uh, you know, don't be beating your head against the wall if, you know, your job does something that's totally out of your control. Or, you know, a friend or a relationship or even a child does something that's totally out of your control. Instead, focus on what you can change that is the way that you respond to it, which is exactly what you said a moment ago. And so it's, uh, you know, 10% what happens to you. 90% of it's your response to it. Yeah. And that, that's what's really going to make the difference in your life. Everybody has hard knocks. Everybody has, you know, tough things happen to them. Uh, who has been thrown in a Roman prison cell? Here's Paul. Yeah. He's got something worse happening to him than, than any of us can claim. And he's saying, I'm content. You yeah, know, I got what I need. I think it's as simple as: Do things happen to you, or do you happen to the circumstances? Yeah. You know, that's that's my high school basketball coach. Are you buddy. a victim, or yeah. yeah? He used to always say that, and you know, I didn't. I guess when I was in yeah, there at the time, good. it didn't mean a whole lot to me. But now you look back at it, and the kids that had the right attitude back then are. It's just funny how people with the right attitude, things seem to work out for them. Yeah. And then on the flip side, things never work out. It's always someone else's fault or poor, you know. And we all know those people, too. Yeah. That nothing, it's all, they always have a big problem. Yeah. They're always a victim. Always. Is it really that they have worse luck than everybody else? I suppose there's a few out there. Yeah. But for the most part... It's their response. And there's a chain reaction here. One negative response leads to another negative response to another... No, I take that back. One negative response may lead to a negative event, which leads to another negative Negative response response, and a negative event. So I said a while ago, you can't control the events, but your responses will lead to either more positive events or negative events in your life. So you have to think about that. Are we ready to move on to verse 18? Yes. Okay, so here's the second application. And that's um, giving as worship. Now, you know, again, this is that complicated relationship Christians have with money. And every first day of the week, we pass a collection plate around, and we call that one of our five expressions of worship. You have the preaching, the prayer, the Lord's Supper, singing, and giving. Yeah. Uh, I've met Christians who are very uncomfortable with that idea that giving is worship. In fact, I knew an elder who argued a lot that giving is never listed as an authorized expression of worship. Of course, you know, he oversaw a church that passed a collection plate around every Sunday. Well, here you have Paul talking about the money they gave him in terms of a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing, not to him, but to God. That puts giving in the category of worship. Because he's using the language there from the Old Testament sacrifices. You know, this is, uh, you know, the fragrant offerings. It it kind of, uh, 
evokes the uh, the incense, you know, and the the uh, sacrifices that were given, the the burnt offerings, even pleasing to God. So, and earlier he talks about how this was uh, not the gift to him, but the fruit that increases increases to their credit. Who's giving them credit? You know, what profit are they gaining? Profit from God. So, you know, this is definitely looked upon as worship that they are doing, and might explain why he's talking about in First Corinthians sixteen two. Uh, when they gather together on the first day of the week for worship, uh, they need to be taking up a collection, you know, so that there be no gatherings when I come. Uh, why did he, you know, some might say, well, that was just a matter of convenience. No, I think it was tied into their worship. Giving is worship, and it's it's a visceral part of worship. You know, I can come and sing, and I can sing insincerely. Yeah. And I can come and act like I'm listening to the preaching, but really not be engaged in the preaching. Mm-hmm. I can take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Yeah. And and I can bow my head during the prayer and not pay attention to the prayer at all. Mm-hmm. But I cannot make a sacrificial gift without meaning it. Now, I'm, I put the word sacrificial in there because... I think I can put money in the collection plate without meaning it, but I can't put a proportional, you know, a sacrificially proportional gift in the plate without really meaning it because sacrifice, you know, that that strikes at the heart. And I guess that's why yeah. money is so important is we, we feel it. You know, some guy says, man, I felt that in my wallet. You know, that, that really hurt. They my wallet's hurting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> feel your money. That's what yeah, they says. You, you do feel your money. Yep. You you do like it or not, and it's not just money because that money is used to exchange, and if you're ex- if and when you give it, you're not exchanging it for anything. Yeah. So you're giving things up. You're giving things up, mm-hmm. and it's it's and that's the only way we're supposed to give. If you're giving, you know, we talked Sunday about that passage in Second Samuel twenty four twenty four, where David says. I will not give to the Lord yeah. my God that which costs me nothing. And they had given up, they had made great sacrifices here, which is why the Lord noticed it and was pleased with it. The image is Jesus standing there in the temple, watching the treasury box, noticing what people are putting into the treasury. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the amount of the gifts that he was noticing but the proportion, and when that widow cast in her two mites, all that she had, he noticed that. Just as he was watching the temple treasury, God is watching us as we give today. Yeah. It's definitely a part of worship. I think, you know, something you are saying about sacrificial giving just sparked my mind to think about this. If we gave with this attitude, do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant mm-hmm. than yourselves, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Yeah. Now, if we gave with that mindset, and by the way, that's Philippians two verses uh, two and or verses three and four. Mm-hmm. If we gave with that mindset, certainly we would have a hard time not giving in a sacrificial way because you're always thinking, well, there's people. I'm just putting myself in those shoes. I'm thinking, you know, I need this money to pay off student loans. I need this money to pay my rent. 
I need this money to eat <laughs> during the week. So I go to Chick-fil-A and get a sandwich, which sounds really good right now because I had an apple for lunch. But, hmm. you know, if you think more of there are people in the community here that come by this church building looking for food, looking for a hotel room. You know, we've had people come by that are staying in just an abandoned place with no heat, and we put them in a hotel room that has heat. You know, they're not out in the snowpocalypse uh, right. just shivering. Uh, you know, when you think about those people and you put their needs above your own, you're not going to go to Chick-fil-A because you're more worried about the guy that's somebody else that needs to go to Chick-fil-A rather than you. You know, just real simple stuff like that, real petty, small stuff, as simple as a trip to a fast food restaurant. Yeah. Are you thinking or, about someone else first? Or you might not need to be driving that car. You yep. might need to be driving a less expensive car or living in a less expensive house, and yep. uh, you know you don't you don't wait until Sunday to start thinking about it. This is a lifestyle choice. Yeah, so. and I'm glad you said a lifestyle choice because I want to bring up Romans chapter twelve, verse one, verse two. Um, this verse one, Paul says, "I appeal to you, therefore, brothers." by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, yes, I think giving is definitely a part of worship, especially given what Paul says about it in Philippians. You know, it's a... Yeah. It's, he compares it to That's the clearest sacrifice. example. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, Philippians has been a great study, and I knew that it would be, um, you know, we... When we get to the end of a book, we always kind of ask. Of course, we love all of the books of the Bible, yeah. but among the 66, where does this rank for you? I think I just get blinded by the, you know, we get into it and we study, and it's one of my favorite. Every book we study, it seems like, is yeah. one of my favorites while we study it. Um, of course, we're never going to say, man, I, you know, I hated that one. Yeah, you know, this book is terrible. But um, Philippians gives me a lot of encouragement. For a lot of different reasons, um, to me, well, one thing that's neat about it is to see it kind of makes Paul more of a person to me than rather just a mm-hmm. you know a figure in history. You can see how he thinks and see some of his personal relationships with people in Philippi, and then there's some with Timothy and Epaphroditus. You know, you kind of see more into Paul. Mm-hmm. For me, it makes me feel like I know Paul more. Yeah, uh, the Philippians as well. It makes the people in Philippi real. To me, you know, it's not just he wrote this to some church we don't know anything about. Uh, it makes the whole situation a little more real. Uh, it encourages me uh, to see Paul's attitude of contentment. You know, that really helps me out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you nailed it when you said attitude. Yeah. You know, it's not the most intellectually stimulating book in the Bible, which is refreshing, by the way, after. All that time in the history books that yeah, we spent, and then we did a mind. couple of prophets in there. But uh, it is a real attitude adjuster. You know, you, chapter 2, verse 5, and then chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, chapter 4, verse 4. Joy, joy, joy. Mm-hmm. It's in your control. You can do it. And uh, it's a book that we need to return to time and time and time again, and that's why it's so loved. It's one, one of the most loved books of the Bible. And we're not ranking them, but. You know that's the overall impression that I have is that it that it's a it's an attitude adjuster. Yeah, it's end. and it it's so short 
You know, it's it's four chapters. Right. Four chapters. And you we're not gonna read it every morning. Yeah, we're not talking yeah. about chapters like a a novel oh, yeah. chapters, because those chapters can be a hundred pages long. This like Luke's chapters. Yeah. I mean this is so short and compact and so awesome that you know, it's a wonder you know, uh, we're doing it in class and uh we're trying to read it every week in class. We come back, we can talk about it, and we can read the things from five weeks ago with the ideas now that we have in our heads. And you know, I could talk about this all day, but I know we're kind of running out of time. I love the book, I, or the letter, the letter, and it, it kind of helps me. This is another thing that helps me think about them for what they are. They're letters. Yeah, you know, it's not like a book, but it reads more like a letter than the letter to the Romans. Yeah, you know, which is very systematic. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just really um, intimate, and uh, so I think both of us really enjoyed it, and I appreciate all our listeners joining us in these discussions. Uh, we have not really talked about what we're going to do next week, but um, we're probably going to uh, get into one of the prophets and mm-hmm. maybe do a minor prophet next week, but we thank you for joining us. And it's been great to wrap up another book. we got another one up on the website, the66.net. Go check out some of the others that we haven't done. Maybe you just joined us for Philippians and you don't realize we have a lot of other books under our belt. We're working our way through, and uh, we plan to do all 66 eventually. It'll take us a while to get there. We'd love to hear feedback. We've got another review up on uh, iTunes. Write us a review. It helps us get up in the rankings and get more listeners and get more people to notice the podcast. And you can contact us at akingsley at arcoc.com or dkaiser at arcoc.com. Follow us on Twitter, The 66 Podcast, and join us next week. We're so thankful that you joined us today.